Black revolutionaries, distillery owners, Italian fashion retailers, and Motown Grammy winners all share their best stories never before told in any other media outlets on Detroit Is Different. Visit DetroitIsDifferent.com or download the Detroit Is Different app on Apple's App Store or Google's Play Store. All right, we are back once again for the Detroit Is Different different podcast and i'm here with one of the closest homies that keeps this whole machine moving forward lawrence technologies is the place i go when it comes to anything computer as i run into all types of strange computer issues and over time i met this man tom lawrence He's also a Detroit is different vet because I've interviewed him before and they've saved me in all types of snags of God knows what the hell is going on with my computer. The whole team over there, especially my homie Steve. Um, Tom, how you feeling today? Doing great. That's good. That's good. All right. So let's talk a little bit about content creation. Um, I've already kind of gotten your backstory and everything, but right now, just in that short time, a couple of years from interviewing you you've transitioned from like having one of the most successful and you're still running that like yeah. being like one of the most successful people when it comes to networking and systems and wiring and setting up computer systems metro detroit especially like that down river area yeah where now you're like a youtuber yeah so it, it it's a fun transition so do elaborate a little bit on what you're talking about we do a lot of you know it services for small business we're popular in the Downriver area we've been in business for 15 years and uh but that also is what made me think you know i love uh sharing all the knowledge and i'm a geek at heart so uh sharing all the enthusiasm i have for technology and i said well how did i do this at scale and i did some speaking events i did that uh i spoke at a handful of colleges and i was well, actually for a little while I was speaking at the University of Michigan, uh, part of their MBA program, they would have me come in and uh, teach classes. But the problem you always have is scale. You can only get, you know, 30 people in a classroom. When I spoke at Walsh College, you okay, there was a few hundred people because they have a bigger auditorium. But like, uh, YouTube means I can interact on a global scale, not just uh, local. And that was really intriguing to me. And I have a cousin who got me kind of excited going, you know, this this YouTube thing's pretty cool. And uh, so I really, I'm a late bloomer on it because I mean, everyone else has already got you know, 100,000, 200,000 subscribers. And I said, I'm going to try this. And then it took me about a year to build up. I got 25,000 subscribers, 3.4 million views. Um, and the views count is not as high as it is on some, you know, kid playing games channel, of course. Uh, but I'm talking about tech. And it's a deep niche topic. I'm doing training on how to set up uh, more enterprise and mid mid enterprise equipment, and getting people enthusiastic about it. So it's been kind of fun. It's been just a it's been a fun journey, and I'm really just covering what I do anyways, because I know a lot of people are curious. Technology drives everything we do and touches us in some way or another. So people get a lot of curious on the plumbing that makes it all work, the firewalls, the switches, the things. So it's a real niche content that I have, but I've uh, quickly growing a very fast audience for it. Okay, as you talk about quickly growing this audience that you got for tech and how it's come together, um, you also have strong interest in video. Yes. That started from strong interest in photography. Yes. Because your videos are very, very crisp. They're clean. They look good. Um, it's not like 
you know, you you just got a cell phone stick and right, you're you're, you're opening up a computer, right? And so my background in uh, photography comes from just um, the things I like in art. I loved photos. I love that. And actually, uh, my kind of sort of secret that most people know about me is I was a wedding photographer for about six years. I got really into it. I was, and I don't know how to do things not obsessively. So I was obsessive uh, about my craft and did everything from destination weddings. I was doing weddings every single weekend, became very good. I had photos published in magazines and things like that. So I was really into the art of it. And of course, being the technical side, I fascinated by the cameras and all the technology. So I just brought that knowledge right over. And matter of fact, it's the same, some of the same glass I had for my uh, photography, which I've now sold my wedding photography equipment, but it's the same 10 millimeter lenses uh, for the wide angle shot, same zoom lenses. I went with all Canon video equipment. So I use like the Canon studio cams and things like that. So it helps uh, that knowledge just interprets over really well. The same mechanics that work for the optics work exactly in that. So it was kind of an easier transition for me. I didn't have, a, I didn't have to do that research part that a lot of people do go, what do I do for cameras? I said, figure out what video camera do I want? I'm probably going to Canon, but which Canon camera do I want? Because I already have Canon mm-hmm. equipment. I'm already familiar with a lot of how that works and along with being familiar with a lot of the canon equipment lighting is another one of those cool things you all recently to me it's a it's a new space that you are moved into but you guys are kind of old there now but yeah the new space you are moved into because the old space you were like uh operating in a space like maybe like what one one eighth yeah where you're operating with video we were cramped yes We were cramped. I never needed a big building uh, for anything because, well, we mostly are on-site techs doing our tech thing. So it's not like it's all happening inside of a building. Well, turn it around when you go, I need a studio space. And uh, we found a great deal in a building and built a dedicated studio for it. And it's kind of funny because there is, as much as uh, you gave a shout out for Steve, Steve was not at first a fan of the studio. Uh, he was like, that's a big waste of space. You got like half the building that, dedicated. That, sound, that sounds very Steve. <laughs> that sounds very Steve. Yeah. He wasn't, uh, my staff wasn't buying because they didn't understand it as well. Uh, they completely get it now and they're all in on it and have a lot of fun with it. Um, but it is, it was a big transition to have this big open space um, that is dedicated to where we build projects and video building those projects for the purpose of training and things like that on YouTube. And, you know, part of it too, it's weird. Um, a lot of people really appreciate my channel and I try try to do my best is I ask for uh, people if they want to, if they can afford to throw money at me, that'd be great. Um, Cause it doesn't pay incredibly well compared to most of the places. Any of the training I offer is expensive to get into tech. So you see all these mm-hmm. advertisers, all these tech training, you know, thousand dollars, this sign up for this class and things like that. We give a lot of it away. So it's been trying to find that balance of justifying all the money we spent on it too. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but Uh, along with it, it's ingratiated you as an authority in it. Yes. And these are things that you naturally do anyway. Uh, The other day, uh, with the setup I'm on right now, I I brought in a whole nother audio board. So the past two weeks, I've been doing podcasting with my mobile board because of a... Naturally, you were like, oh, what happened is your your computer isn't grounded. And then you were like, okay, this is how you reground how things work and everything. And I haven't even showed you, but I used another one of those like uh, keyboard stands to do every... to, To lift up my tower that everything records into. So now I'm going really... This is sounding real tech ish and very boring for people, but I record this audio onto a computer, a desktop computer. That desktop computer was not um, 
because it was not grounded and it was not coming out of the same outlet as the actual recording device, I was getting a hum and a buzz. Yep. Now, it's kind of funny because uh, I, so the, my audio engineering goes back to the 90s. Uh, mm-hmm. I used to build um, – I think this is still probably a thing. I'm just out of the culture, uh, the car mm-hmm. culture as much. But I used to build really high-end custom stereo systems like where we take the back of the car apart. And we mm-hmm. were doing this in the 90s back before you – know, you see these competitive things I've seen where people like custom mold stuff. We were doing it with wood and carpet and building so amps and everything else. So it was like, it was like my ride. Oh, yeah. We yeah. Used to, and we used to do that at, uh, out of my garage. And um, so I learned all kinds of audio engineering information back then. So that's also that's, you know, my, my background even further than as in uh, board level electronics and things like that. Actually, for a little while uh, before you met me, I used to own a TV repair place. We used to do board level uh, circuit board repairs. So I got a strong familiarity with that as well. And then um, it, but that's where all that comes from, you know, setting up the ground loop isolators and everything else because we want to make sure there's no hum in the car. And back then it was always just getting rid of the alternator hum mm-hmm. and creating these, you know, pair of uh, 15 or 18 inch speakers and things like that and building out these big amps. But no one wants that, that hum and a little hum like that. Well, that comes true in those stereos, you know, when you're doing it. Not really. I never tried to compete for any trophies or anything. We just kids playing around and seeing how loud can we make it and people bring their cars to me see how they can make it so that's my that's where some of that knowledge came from for i have in the audio uh business yeah and (laughs) and even me with my audio experience just knowing the fine ground like uh when i used to make a lot of tracks and what i do in recording i just know i would walk walk to a place where there wasn't carpet generally with wherever the device was get the ground and then reconfigure it like around there but the problem up here as you see it's carpet everywhere so and that's the one thing i've never been uh i've never gotten into is i am a horrible at producing music so i've I've stayed away from that like i'm Uh fascinated by it i'm I'm like i've always liked things i think this weekend's dump too right yeah 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 um i since they started charging i don't go i i don't feel as real Many, many people many people don't as you that's a whole nother gateway into the world of open source technology, but continue. Yeah, yeah it's all, you know, the, my, my only comment on that is I feel once they kind of commercialized it, it isn't mm-hmm. the same dump I went to back in the 90s and early, like the early days of it. I remember that. And now it's kind of, I, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's just me being old and I'm just too old to go there now. <laughs> I'm the, I'd be the old man with gray hair there. <laughs> yeah, boy. Public Enemies Minister of Information, Professor Griff, celebrates the 30-year anniversary of the best hip-hop album ever. Thursday, June 28, 2018, at the Jam Handy. Witness a special behind-the-music unsung tribute to Public Enemies, It Takes a Nation of Millions to Hold Us Back album. Hip-hop performances from Mahogany Jones, Kari Way Frazier, and more will honor the landmark album. But anyways, yeah, the uh, I've, I've always been fascinated by music um, and the technology, but not being able to produce it. Of course, that's why I'm so fascinated with it. It's the same reason I can't draw, but like artwork, I can't draw things. But I'm like, my sister's an artist. And I'm like, how do you do that? Like you look at things and sketch mm-hmm. them. And I'm like, I'm like, I don't know. I can't even scribble straight. <laughs> so this is just like, like you all can clearly see like me and Tom talk for hours generally. Oh yeah. Tom generally breaks like, look, I got to get back to, and it's like, yeah, I probably need to get back to work too. But (laughs) (laughs) with this being said, um, let's kind of park at YouTubing right now. Right. Um, and we were talking content creation because a lot of people, you know, uh, look at YouTube as a gateway for 
stardom, success, money. Uh, there are many uh, different avenues right now that are being presented to the public with uh, paid content creators like yes. through Facebook, Netflix, Amazon. Uh, there are more and more television networks buying into the idea of the online content creator. And at the root of a lot of this, with what I do with Detroit is different, with everything that you do, like it's still a passion that yes. I feel like makes the best content. For sure. And there's never been a better time to be a creator. We'll just throw that out there. As much as there's any of these uh, platforms that you may want to put it, put your content on, um, they all have certain you know troubles. And if you're in the creator circles, you'll see the little drama about, oh, they monetize this or demonetize that. Um, all that set aside, the bigger picture of there's never been so many people individually just pushing and uploading a video and sharing something they're passionate about. And I think that real connection you have becomes very interesting. I remember the writer's strike years ago and mm -hmm. remember what happens the writer's strike is a lot of the the reality tv shows stopped and it kind of makes you pause for a second wait a minute the writer's strike caused some reality tv yeah. shows to stop yeah we all kind of had an idea it was scripted some people may not have been as clued in but we know mm -hmm. so much of that is overhyped and cut and edited to create what uh, a perceived drama versus you listen to some of these other people from podcasters and especially the youtubers uh someone with a uh, camera and I, i'm gonna a point out because i'm a science guy <clears throat> uh i like cody's lab this guy i forget where he's at some rural area he does all kinds of really basic science experiments with really simple things there's not a lot of production not a lot of editing just real simple here's the science here's what i'm going to show you how this works um and it's just cool to watch because you get this learning thing that's so awesome and uh adam savage you know from mythbusters he's mm -hmm. become more on the he went from this produced television show mythbusters that made him famous to leaving all that behind and becoming a very direct creator. And you can follow him on YouTube and it's a, he's someone else that's very passionate. And he says, it's just so great because he likes to build things and show you how he built them mm -hmm. and teach you. And I think that direct connection with YouTubers is the uh, really, the, the the mass media companies are trying to figure out how to embrace it, but they can't because but they the, put the, the spin. It's that real connection we have. Yeah, and, and, and I was telling a writer recently that was talking to me about writing descriptions for different shows because i plan on bringing on more shows you're going to see more podcasts with detroit is different it'll be a little bit more curated it's not going to be like anybody quote unquote has a podcast per se like just people that are passionate and i see some very niche things like one woman i'm gonna approach like this is i'm very excited about this and i think you'll like it too but uh, a friend of mine sandy Epp, she's been doing this um she's been doing for about five years a black doll show where it's just like all these like dolls for black kids i think that that'll be interesting as ever in a podcast form which is very niche meaning it's definitely not going to be you know uh the the masses would right. not be interested in something like that but those few people that are interested in that i think it'll be something that it, yeah. is a community that will connect to it and that's always the thing i People, it's at the top. They try to figure out, okay, how are we going to monetize this? How are we going to do this? They look at it in a very corporate way. Uh, but when the reality of it is people want just a story. People 
love the passion and when they see one person doing it. I've I've mentioned even at uh, a YouTube channel called The Great Big Story. It's a really simple mm. three-minute videos that are on somebody doing a thing. And it sometimes just becomes fascinating. The, you know, I learned about the voice actor who voiced this particular uh, character for a long time and what his life was like or whatever. I think they had the person who was the voice of Siri on there. And she's recorded the voice of Siri for the iPhone. And it's like those little things are kind of just novel and stories. There's all these niches of humanity that we can bring out. And uh, as a platform, this becomes a really easy way to do it. And it's uh, there's more people interested than I think any any large corporate place realizes in those stories. Yeah. Probably the only corporate place you realize is what the interest level in those stories probably is like a platform like YouTube. <laughs> yes. And, and and even the way that YouTube moves as, uh, you know, you watch enough YouTube videos, yeah. you'll get those weird commercials that's like, I knew this guy that was just sitting around on his couch and he was making pizzas, but he also liked to really make good pizzas. And now he's a YouTube creator. You yeah. can come to my college. Like, it's so weird. Like, <laughs> Even the way that's being so, it reminds me of uh, remember I forget that guy's name, but the the like late night at night, like back in the nineties, it was that uh, Chinese guy. Oh yeah, <laughs> with the boats. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was like, yeah. you can be millionaire. You can be a millionaire too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think for any any given moment, there's always some uh, pioneering marketing person trying to figure out what the next thing they can package and sell you is. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, there's always going to be those people out there, whatever. So, I mean, mm-hmm. I, there there's pieces of the economy I guess we need. I, I maybe he created value. Remember the guy in the question mark suit? Yeah. Oh, oh, with the uh, yeah, yeah. Like <laughs> the government has money that they're, they're yeah. not giving you. Yeah, question mark suit guy. I'm sure. That package was so... I want to say Great Big Story did a story on him. I know I watched something <laughs> about him as an individual. And he's I mean, he's as eccentric in person as you could expect. I mean... Uh, he... I, I, <laughs> I met in that same in that same world. I met the Sham Wow guy at a... Uh, he was at a forum. It was... This was like early, like right after he did... He was like doing a special presentation for Sham Wow. And I was like, man, that's the Sham Wow guy. Yeah. <laughs> like in some of these infomercial people like the 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 Chinese guy, the Shamwow guy, the rapper from the Blue Blockers commercial. <laughs> like yeah. They just stand question question mark guy. <laughs> there there's so many of those little pieces of uh that. I think there's there's all kinds of fun interesting facts about individuals and uh Detroit I think is just an awesome place for it. I think this, there's yeah. so much uh, going on. There's so much history here. There's so many things here. So a lot of opportunity. The the hardest part is curating and finding it undoubtedly. Yeah, I definitely will watch like a 10-minute uh, documentary on the Blue Blockers rapper. Yeah. You know what like, I'm saying? If I can find like, that guy, I mean, I bet he's got a story. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yeah, man, so I'll be walking. People still come up to me like, you're the Blue Blockers rapper? <laughs> yeah. that Sam Brero still? <laughs> well, in, uh, go back to thinking about 80s things. Uh, I've fallen and I can't get up. Yes. You know, there's a story about the guy who invented that, and he mm. didn't. Uh, he was a smart guy. Came up with a horrible ad, and the goal was to make it that bad. It was, goal mm. was to make it memorably bad. And mm. uh, they, I forget the guy's name, but he uh, interviewed. One of the things his big failing though is he didn't patent or copyright things, and uh, the mm. whole thing became copied. So he didn't make as much money off it as he could have. Mm. But it became this weird little cult classic of I've fallen I can't get up and he's got an entire I found a video of uh, people interviewing him and he's very interesting guy who's actually gone on to create a lot of other things but he's he's famous for that one thing and his career launched with that and if they're interesting and the the people that are making the content are interesting and it has like an ethic and an intentionality so many things can be really cool it's almost 
uh, and it's funny, it is a Sunday morning and we're talking, but my mom used to always um, watch uh, This Sunday Morning on CBS. Mm-hmm. And that show was that show. Like, its, its segments would be so, like, just all over the place. Like, you know, like one day it'd be, you know, some tomato uh, farmer, and then it'd be like a rapper, and yeah. then it'd be like, uh, it, you know, and it, and what was so funny about a lot of those segments about this Sunday morning on CBS was generally the more famous the person that the segment was about, the less interesting it would be. Yeah, uh, what was, and I, I want to say his name was Harvey, and I don't remember his last name, uh, but his tagline was, and now you know the rest of the story. He was a radio uh, broadcaster, would have been in the 40s, 50s, mm-hmm. and he always had uh, little stories about people that he put together. I don't know where it was bumped up against, what segment it would have been. It was back in the radio days. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was never on TV that I know of. And those are those little things. Like like you said, there's always that little interesting story about someone who did a thing. And uh, this is where things uh, YouTube is a platform. They, in YouTube's a platform to do yes. this. Uh, there's so many more um, out there, and I don't know what's coming next. These are the ones we're talking about here in 2018. Something even bigger could come out in 2019 or later yeah. this year. You never know. Uh, but it's still the same content. It comes down to content creators, and people love story. People crave story. Uh, it's It becomes fascinating from the here about these people. And I'm still, I, I always, you want to just know, you know, how did you get to be the guy Whatever. who did this? The yeah. blue blocker sun guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> what exactly. made you put a suit on with question marks and get on <laughs> and buy a commercial going, government's got money for you. <laughs> yes. Now, now along that, um, and I guess this could be, it, it's just like in music, you know, it, the discussion has been going on in rap for just any form of music. Like, you know, back in the day, you needed all this money to go to the studio, but now the barriers of entry are lower, so m- much more music is being created. But, and um, with the intention, because it's also a lot of people that have the talent to make good content, but their their value of what they feel like they can get from it isn't even necessarily in creating good content. It's in what they believe the good content will give them. Yeah. And I guess this is more like a maybe like a bigger altruistic question period, but what's your take on like a lot of people that have all of the like uh the recipe to make something really cool, but they're they're kind of, you know, they're kind of uh stunting their growth because of their expectation for what it will get. I yeah, there's unfortunately a lot of hype sold that you're going to be the next star of whatever platform, YouTube or whatever, Instagram star. Um, sometimes I think people are oversold on the hype of it and they have an expectation that they will go viral immediately. And then when they don't, they don't make it to episode two or even a third upload. And we talked a little bit before the show uh, like about podcasting. And uh, we I have a podcast as well, and it's the same thing. Um, I knew in the early days we talked to dead air. And you just have to push forward and keep doing it until you find it. You can't expect the first thing you do uh, to do that. So I think that's um, a lot like people uh, might sell themselves short because they go, wow, no one liked that thing I did. So I only got four views. I guess I'll stop. And what happens is when you later have something good that comes out, people realize that you had some good content that go back through as long as you left it uploads. I've seen people who go around deleting that first couple uploads. They're like, no, 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 it's embarrassing or whatever, and uh, I don't want to do it. And a uh, funny story is he's a pretty famous tech YouTuber now, uh, KBHD. He does a lot of tech phone reviews. He uh, has been on YouTube for like 10 years, 
So, and he's only like 22. So you're talking about him as a 12 year old kid when he uploaded wow. his first video. Wow. And he well, leaves like 12 years ago. He was like talking about like a side kid so, or something. Yeah. <laughs> when you look at him, it's crazy. I mean, when you see a guy, there's a, there's a large transition humans go through from about 12 to 22. There is a growth that you go through so here he goes his voice hasn't changed he's there talking about some laptop his first video and i'm sure it got no views that mm -hmm. video is uh, highly viewed now because people went back and looked at his original content but it's kind of cool because uh, all the videos are the accumulation buildup so just because someone doesn't view it you're not going to go viral from the beginning um you have to really have that persistence the other thing too is there's so many more niches uh we as a society never had an option to do this before. We, I, I want to say it was um, Bing Crosby was actually one of the most viewed ever the televised series. And it, they mm -hmm. talked about a lot of perspectives around it. We know that we aired that Christmas special, whatever it was in the 40s yeah. or 50s, whenever it was. And all of the U.S., a percentage, a large percentage of the U.S. all watch the same TV show. That doesn't happen anymore. No, no longer... You can't take a percentage of the U.S. and have them watch that. So we've never had so much focus on single things, but it's kind of cool. We don't have to. Everything's niched out. If you have a niche for something, you can probably find 10,000 viewers. There's a guy who eats yeah. carrots who has like 100,000 views on his channel. He literally started a YouTube channel that eats carrots. I have no idea why people watch it, but they do. But that's them. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's kind of, uh, you know, uh, when Joe Lewis fought Max Schmeling. Right. And so many of the people sat and listened on the radio. But it was, you know, and it's looked not, as an iconic moment. Right. But in the same vein, it may have been a lot of people that would have listened to a whole nother sport. But right. But it's like what right. other options existed for it to listen to. As um, I always give this example of rich versus reach. Yes. Reach to me is let's make something that we believe will be something that all that billions of people will agree to. Right. Hence like a, a package like the Super Bowl. You got sports, you got commercials, you got this pop act performing, you got like spectacle. Like we're gonna we're gonna try to put something in the box for everybody. Versus like rich which is what something you were working on with uh, the the soccer club, uh, soccer club of Detroit. Yeah, Detroit City FC. Ago. Yeah, and th as I've seen that grow over the years, like what started as some people like, oh man, this is kind of cool. We should have our own soccer field. To like, oh, this is really cooler. Like we we can get our own stadium. Mm -hmm. So like now it's people that intrinsically feel a part of like that movement of soccer and you know when people say you know yeah but wouldn't it be better to be a super bowl sponsor whereas i would say you know people would think i'm crazy but i think if people really saw me as ingratiated in the ethic of it as my friend in uh, the detroit city distillery is working with the uh the soccer club, you know, and if people really embrace it as that, now they feel like they're a part of us and not just selling to well, us. Well, yeah, and it's, it kind of goes back to if a corporate entity were to take a survey in Detroit, do we need a soccer team, you know, and try to put this out there and they go, well, there's only this much. And you say, that's not enough people. That's a small percentage. But now looking at the result of people who didn't bother asking permission of the uh, authorities that be and go, yes. you know, we're just going to do it because we're passionate about it. Yes. And uh, next thing you know, that the game I was at, there was, I, I'm pretty sure they said 2,700 people. 
mm-hmm. and it was a sold out game. It was televised. It was uh, on Fox News. It was um, Germany. They flew from Germany to face uh, the team here. So you had a team from Germany uh, going against, you know, I mean, this was a big event with all these people, the passion, the energy mm-hmm. was in the crowd. And if someone were to ask it from a purely like, you know, corporate perspective a few years ago, like you said, they would go, oh, there's not enough interest here in Detroit. It wouldn't, it wouldn't work. Or, or what may end up happening if they turn um if they put a uh, MLS yeah. stadium but it won't be but those fans won't go to the MLS games yeah it's that culture that got built around it. Yes. And I think that's what you're seeing a lot of with the YouTube. You follow, you get people who are passionate followers of a thing. And uh, we're able to do that now because we, you know, we realize people have really niche interests. So uh, we're able to then expand upon that. And if you have a talent uh, for doing something and sharing that out there comes back to, like I said, it's never been a better yeah. time to be a creator because... It's awesome. You know, you can create these little experiments on this thing and uh, start doing it. Or you have a unique style of music you want to produce that glow. You know, you can say, okay, I want to produce this music. Here in Detroit, there's maybe 100 people listening to me. Globally, there's 100,000. Yes. And uh, you're able to do that. You're able to export that content. Because once you get it online, the the internet is an amplifier. Uh, Whatever it is you want to do, you'll find and it'll amplify that thing. So if you are on there, it scales because it's such a global amount of people on there. So it amplifies that thing you want to do. It allows you to search out others that are on there. Uh, there was a guy who started producing music, and I don't remember the channel's name, but I thought it was really novel uh, what they had done. He just found other people to play with. Mm-hmm. And they, he started stitching together. Everyone kind of plays your own chord, and he they're all remote. And he stitches mm-hmm. them all together into a single song, but nobody's in the same room. So he's able to put these tracks That's together cool. by finding other people that kind of like, hey, you do the chorus here, you play this instrument, I'll play that instrument, and then start reassembling it back together. And that's not possible. The guy's not in an area where he could find other people, but the internet and then YouTube provided, the provided that. Yeah. Now, along with that, let's talk about as people create and become content creators like you. How and and it's still a learning journey, I think, no matter what. But yeah. um, how should they prepare themselves as they do get an audience? Because if something does go viral, or as people do start responding, like what what mechanisms should they have in place to respond to people to 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 build upon what uh, following they're growing? You know, that's. Um Having methods is still even tricky for me. As I scale, I was okay. What's the easiest way? I uh, had to change the way our forms are because so many people want to contact me. So we had to create like a form for all these people that want to message me. Because uh, I have a few friends that are shocked that I still even have a phone number because they're like, it's, it goes to my business. But I have a, I was met with another YouTuber a few weeks ago who's substantially bigger channel, mm-hmm. and it's uh, it's a real problem. They have to make sure there is no published phone numbers for it. And my mm-hmm. cousin had this problem uh, too as she became a uh, got over the half million subscriber mark on her YouTube channel. Uh, she and since. Wait, and then tell a little bit more about your cousin because your cousin's journey into it was also something encouraging of very rich, very niche. Yeah. Talk a little bit about your cousin. Yeah. So my cousin, uh, she does the, if you Google gone to the snow dogs, uh, you'll find my cousin who lives in uh, Alpena, Michigan. And uh, she just likes sharing videos. And she started this like 2007 or eight was her first upload. So, you know, 10 years ago, uh, she shares videos about her dogs and tells a story, not like just like a funny dog video, like you're thinking of, but mm-hmm. she tells a story and she brings you into the story of her and her family. So it's, she doesn't have any kids. So it's like her, her husband and her dogs. So 
she's just sharing that story and kind of bringing you along with there. Next thing you know, there's more subscribers, more subscribers. They have this partner program on YouTube that pays you for the ads that run on there. And uh, my cousin actually owned a restaurant. And she has since sold the restaurant to her family. Uh, her brother runs it now. People would just start showing up at the restaurant. People would, uh, I mean, Chila's, Alpina is not a easy to get yeah, to city. Yeah, you got that right. It's not even by the freeway. I mean, you it's, got it's, that right. it's yeah, an yeah, hour it's off the journey. freeway yeah, yeah. Uh, in rural Michigan. So in far northern Michigan. So it's one of those things that... Uh, you have to start thinking about that of, oh, crap, everyone's here. And she's actually uh, had people, and she's had to let them know when she's like, adults, not kids, have just decided to uh, show up at her house when they figured mm. out where she lived. And she's since moved, but she's, like, very close to the chest on it. So I guess there's some part of you that I enjoy interacting with people. But even myself, I've cut back on the phone calls uh, because once people figured out what my extension was, they just started calling me all the time. And uh, I, I uploaded a video the other day and someone from an old video, and it's not that I listed it, but you can go through the dial by directory and still figure out my extension. Mm. And they right away, they're calling me, hey, I have a question about the video you just uploaded. And I don't always return all those calls. I want to, but I know how much time of my life I would spend on the phone with some of these people. And because uh, they call sometimes just the main number. Hey, I want to talk to Tom. I want to talk to Tom because he uploaded a video. and I, wanna, I got a question about something mm-hmm. in there. And I've, I've, I've told them and I've added it to my videos. I have a form on my website. That's where you'll email me a question because I don't mind replying to emails still uh, as much as I can. So I think it's something you think about is do you want to publish your phone number? You're excited to have fans. Then when they have 3.4 million views and like I said, I'm, I'm only there, which is really small in the scale of YouTube. But the calls start coming up. The emails start coming up and you got to figure out a way to kind of deal with it. It's as exciting as it is. It's also, oh, boy, I can see the scale of this because uh, I plan to grow substantially bigger Then we better put something in place now. So making sure you have like a form, making sure you have uh, methods by which you can be contacted, mm-hmm. but you don't want to give them a direct line. Don't throw your cell number up on there. Hilarious. <laughs> okay. So that's that's one tip. What about like eBooks? What about monetizing it? Should you be like how eager should a, a content creator be on looking to so a lesson get some money from I'm still learning is wow. when it comes to sponsors. I reached out to a lot of sponsors early on my channel and it wasn't very big and I met with dead air. What I've realized as my channels got bigger, the opposite happens. And my cousin told me this, but I didn't believe her, you know, because I apparently know better than someone with half a million subscribers on YouTube and running multiple channels, you know, because I'm smart, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I spent too much time thinking about trying to get those people. It turns out she was right. Once your channel gets bigger, they start contacting you a lot more. They just start sending you stuff. I've got free stuff in the mail now, um, and which is kind of cool. And hot sauce companies going, hey, can we send you the thing or here? Because uh, a little side note to my channels, we talk about hot sauces and mm. things like that because we all like to eat spicy food. So it's kind of fun how as my channel grows, the there's the sponsors are actively looking for people that they go, I want my product with your brand. So you don't have to spend too much time doing it, and you can really get caught up in the aggravation of reaching out to all these sponsor channels and there's places i've learned and just meeting with dead air like they do not care to reply they look at you going who are you you don't have anything uh knowing who those sponsors are, are good the other thing i'm going to warn people about though is be careful who you choose to have as a sponsor make sure they align with what you want are they a product or a company that you think would be a good fit for you um just because they're offering you money doesn't necessarily mean you should now now let's talk a little bit about that as in this world of content creation yeah and we spoke a little bit about joe rogan and uh i i I use him as an example because i've been listening to his podcast for years 
And you're right. Like, it started where he was way more of a conspiracy theorist, where now he's shifted. Like, it, I followed the journey of Joe. But originally, his podcast, which is one of the most listened to podcasts, started with, like, I want to say, like, 100 listeners. Oh, yeah. So, and that was, like, him being on, you know, Fear Factor. And yep. You, you know what I'm saying? News radio. And you know what I'm saying? This is like a, Yeah, he's a, a personality. Yes. I mean, the guy has just got a presence. <laughs> now, with it, he has his own, uh, you know, he, he sells his own goods and everything. But I definitely think that he's grown into the sense of, like, an idea of, like, what he represents. But the relationship he has with his listenership. What happens if you do um, take on the wrong sponsor just because? And that's where you can get like a money. real like a real brand erosion problem, mm-hmm. and uh, you can recommend this product because they're willing to give you all this money, but then the product it, it fails, it's low quality or whatever it is, it's a scammy product or. Um, you know, I, I look at people who uh, took the time to promote that uh, that failed concert idea on an island. I've been watching some of the fallout from it. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but there's lawsuits. Oh, the ja Rule concert. Yeah. <laughs> but, but think about that as a perspective. If someone were paid to do that and they really recommended it, you are you don't care how good that guy's content is. He's like, you know what? That guy told me and I bought tickets off his discount code for the, for the concert. And, man, that was an awful life experience. And why so, does uh, – and- and I have my own take, but why do you think people feel that way so much about that from a content creator like a podcaster or a YouTuber and feeling more slighted by them than like per se, like if, um, I don't know, like I don't even know what what it is. Like if you see a commercial with Kevin Hart and it's on TV. Yeah. I think it's just one of those things because you develop this personal trust between them. So you're assuming if Tom recommends something that, he reuses that product. He must use that product and things like that. So you get that. That's why a lot of times the, the they have you doing an ad read um, when you're a creator. They don't just have you dropping in like a standard commercial that they produced. They want you to read about the product. And I look at some of the larger uh, podcast networks and things like that. You'll, you you take the announcer and he's reading about that and he's telling you maybe some personal experience with there. And some of the best content creators I'm going to talk about uh, like twit.tv or a big tech podcast studio, um, Leo has has built up years of trust and he's the guy that runs it and he does the ad reads but he's also uh, talked uh, outside of the podcasting world he speaks at, a, at creator events and he talks about that and once they build that trust with you never violate it you know he was able to uh, keep expanding his brand because he only he turns down advertisers left and right he goes they're not in alignment I don't like your product or I tried your product I don't like it so you, that rapport also means the ad people know that you decided their product is good, you like the product, so they're gonna pay you more because they know your audience, you've kept that trust with you. So it works all the way around. You only recommend good products, um, do that. But once you start being kind of just a uh, shill for whatever project, like, oh, I'll, I'll just sell anything. Yeah, you guys get, you wanna throw money at me? I'll, I'll endorse your crap. Um, your audience kind of gets a different feeling because maybe you're not genuine with your content either. If you're not genuine with your ads, are you genuine with your content? Or are you just making this up because I entertain it? You start breaking that whole trust relationship they have. Um, that's what makes podcasting so interesting or even any content creation so interesting because it's, it's a direct relation versus if I watch some television show, I have no idea. Well, we talked about reality TV shows. There's mm-hmm. a bunch of ads that run. There's no connection between the guy in the reality TV show and the ad spots that were put in because he's not like he's holding and endorsing a brand necessarily. Mm-hmm. So that's a 
that different kind of audience. So you got to make sure as a creator, if you're going to align yourself with a brand, you're aligning with the brand. It's not something your channel is just doing. I know YouTube has their own ads. They sprinkle on like banner ads on the channel, on my but channel. But you know. But, but I'm not endorsing that product. Know. There's a clear separation yes. between a product I endorse and get paid for versus a random ad that YouTube decided. I was actually told uh, there's been a ton of political ads because political season's coming up. Uh-huh. And apparently they're part of the pre-roll that YouTube is rolling. Yes. I have no association with whatever they are. I don't even know what they are because YouTube doesn't uh-huh. tell me. I, <laughs> they focus the ads on the person watching. But I'm not endorsing it, so I've now separated myself from those. Yes. Now, in that, and it's funny, it's like, this has like become like a good tutorial for content creators so I'm going to let I'm going to encourage a lot of people to watch this because I yeah. get asked a lot of questions um, in that like what what should the creator be thinking um, like as far as like as they're building their team or they're they're drafting or they're blueprinting what they're going to do what what do you suggest uh, is the best method to just get started and to get started in the creation going? part first you got to make sure you're you're figuring out what your niche is. And you may not know. Um, you kind of have that spaghetti approach. I'm just going to keep throwing videos out there and I'll mm-hmm. figure out which ones get views. And I did a lot of that. My first handful of videos are random and uh, they they don't make any sense uh, to what I do now. Well, they, I guess they kind of do. I was playing with technology. I was taking things apart um, and showing people how they come apart and realize, okay, people are less interested in this. So what about this other aspect that I do? Um, I, and it's this constant shaping. So even you may start with at least some idea of the content you're going to do and then figure out what gets views. And it's really hard to beginning because nothing's going to get views. Even if you made one of your perfect videos, you may not know until 20 videos later, you go back and hold on, my third video got all these views, but like nothing else does. What did I do different? What is it that people are uh, looking for in that video? So there's, when you're creating a content, it's, that's that's tough. It's even tougher as a podcast because getting good stats on your podcast is next to impossible. Um, but as you create it, you, you start doing that. So your roadmap is a constant look back at what's working, feedback from your audience. I have an end roll I throw on all of mine going, hey, uh, if you like this video, like, subscribe, and leave comments what, what you liked, what you didn't like. Ask people. It really is, but you've got to ask them. If you don't ask them, they may not think to tell you what why they hate you or why they love you. Um, and do take take the haters with a grain of salt because there's some people are just angry. I, I don't mm. know why. That's the internet. They can be. Um, they're anonymous. They have something Girl, less than you, pleasant YouTube to say. comments is like a, 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 oh, it's a, cesspool. a breeding ground. <laughs> of just like you know you just look at like i don't know anything like it it'll be like uh for real's happy video and it'll just be like yeah <laughs> and there's just people who i i've i realized that i had someone as i i'm on a lot of different platforms where i post my content on reddit um someone had a less than nice thing to say about me and i just kind of laughed but i i actually read through the, they took the time to type a long comment of why they didn't Hilarious. like me. So, yeah, so they, they had a lot to say of why they didn't like my channel. But I actually addressed some of the points. Normally, um, there is a theory in business of hug your haters. and uh, That's a, a <clears throat> man. I'm forgetting my man that did the uh, Gary Gary Gary, uh, man. Gary or Yeah, he, yeah. He, he talks a little bit about that. There is and, about sometimes that. Sometimes I like Gary's stuff. Sometimes He's, he's a little over the top and yeah, things yeah, like yeah. that. Yeah, I agree. Um, too many entrepreneurs um, really just embrace as if he's the epitome of what you should be, and I'm not of that mindset. There's things I like about the guy. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was going to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but there's other things that are important in life to me besides just making the next dollar. So, uh, mm-hmm. but the hug your haters theory is when you have people who complain about uh, what you do, in you like for example, and they leave a bad review if you're a, a business, mm-hmm. um, only reply once to them 
if you reply twice, you become down the rabbit hole crazy oh, of geez. trying to trying to address them. But sometimes there is a valid if you read it, and sometimes there's not, and this is very subjective. Um, there was some validity to what the person said. Um, I also clicked on the person's profile and realized they pretty much leave a negative comment everywhere they go. And mm-hmm. there's that. So take that as a indicator. Some people, they just look for things to complain about. Um, but don't take it too hard on yourself. But decide if there's any value in what they said about the way you do things. And I did address something that they commented on because it was the way I produce my content um, and what I do. But I it was it was just me thinking about how I shape my channel. And uh, so constantly looking for feedback, asking for feedback. And that's the hardest part about when you're getting started. You just have to keep producing content because if no one's watching it, you also don't have people producing feedback for you either because they're not anyone watching it to see it. Um, it's not easy to self-promote on YouTube. Uh, if you're producing music, there's that. But how many times have someone, hey, man, check out my SoundCloud, check out my mixtape. It's really hard. It's I, I, think, I think you're dropping a lot of good hints. And... Mm-hmm. Um, certain things that I want to even bring into the house. Like sometimes I feel like with feedback all the time with artistry, just like from our music mode, it's weird. Like I think, you know, asking people to critique something naturally brings out like a negative um, thought process. Cause like, you know, but sometimes presenting people stuff and then just what you think, like it's kind of like the, how do you present that feedback? Like where it's not like a, how do you think this can be better? Because it's it's a weird it's a weird world of like it, it is. Am um, I supposed to say that it's not like you know they ask me for something? I may think it's perfect, or I may think oh, I don't even know necessarily if I'm the person to comment on this. Like it's a mixed bag sometimes when it comes to feedback. Well, too, and the other problem is uh, there are so many videos. I mean, there's thousands of videos being uploaded. There's been a few thousand more videos uploaded since we started talking here yeah. an hour ago. Um, that is one of the things, the scale of it is so immense that you can get lost in the sea of it. But let's actually turn this around a little bit and talk about ways you can legitimately promote yourself. And I'll use what we're doing right now as an example. So um, I have a following on Twitter. I have a following on my podcast. I have a following on my YouTube channel. I am going to mention I was on Detroit is Different. Yeah. Guesting on other shows because you have something Aaron Sinchet is awesome. It is a great way to cross promote. If you can, yes. I, we, we've done this with our uh, podcast. We have had other podcasters on our podcast. Mm-hmm. We have turned that around we have guested on many other podcasts uh, we mentioned uh, itina d and we've i've been on there several times this constant cross promotion that is a huge method of growth how do you get cross promotion well a lot of places are looking for guests all the time yeah. so reach out to them even if they're uh, smaller than you certainly not I, a problem i sometimes think that if they're smaller is better too and sometimes with the reach it, it goes back to you know when i was performing my best shows and people think i'm you know, speaking, as they say, man, you're always extra positive. And it's like, it's weird because I don't think I'm extra positive or negative. I just think that I'm progressing in a quality of life I like. Yes. So, But my best shows would always be the shows where not many people would come. And I would do a great performance because what would end up happening is it'd be like seven people at the show. And they say, damn, man, more people should really be here for this. And they became like a, a like an ambassador for like, yo, next time you do a show, I'm bringing like seven people because yeah. if you're this good for this many people, then I can't imagine, you know, like they join the mission. And as you talk about like going to that podcast or going to that uh, local access network 
TV show or whatever that that may you know you may be sort of talking to dead air. Whoever that is, that's the host may may now be a part of whatever the vision where you're going. You know, like well, it, I found that to happen a lot too. Yeah, and it's funny because this this concept isn't new. I mean, we've all seen small bands open for big bands. Yeah, and you went there because you went for the big band and that was playing. You're like, oh man, these guys that opened for them, they mm-hmm. were they were great. And it's also why they open, so you don't leave after. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, yeah. But uh, it, the concept isn't new. You know, you and that that kind of cross pollination works really well. So you find other people who are in the same genre that you think that your goal is for your channel and uh, or wherever you're producing your content, whatever methods you're doing, and you guest on those. You join those other YouTube channels. You reach out to them, and that's also really tricky. That's a stepping ladder. Um, I reached out to big channels. They ignored me mm-hmm. <laughs> and they still will. I've reached out to a couple of them and I'm, they look at, they'll look at you and go, well, you've got all of 10 subscribers, Tom. Sorry. We're not even going to bother with you. Uh, so you do have to kind of do the stepping stone thing of, I reached out to smaller channels and they're like, Hey, that sounds like a good idea. And, uh, cause they're willing to, they're still trying to build their audience. So it's kind of funny three, uh, I have a couple friends online that we produce similar content and we've now become friends and our channels are growing almost in lockstep with each other. We're only a few percentage apart and we're, we have been for, but you all probably started at the same point yep. and, and, now have like a progression because that's the other thing too like the the developing horizontally as opposed to vertically because yep. it's hard to just you know walk up to oprah like hey oprah guess what i'm doing video now and it's like huh, hey can i can i sit you? next to you and uh, yeah, jump yeah, on the show like, with you you know yeah, like, <laughs> you, like who are you you know what yeah. I'm saying? whereas you know i guess you know if you would have met oprah 35 years ago right it's like hey I know this sounds weird, but we're 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 gonna make this local access TV show. And she's like, "Oh, I'm all for that." Yes. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, yeah, and that's a, that's the thing. There's different. So you kind of have to. You may have to start off small. Hey, great if you can find the break and jump on someone who has a big channel that aligns to you. Awesome, amazing, mm-hmm. great. But statistically likelihood, no. It's uh, sorry. Now, now along with that, I also think it's some people that have like no audience or just starting, but they're really passionate about what they do, and that's why it's a reason. Yeah. it's cool to go there. Yeah, and it's always it's always fun, you know. And for the music producers, there's there's um there's all kinds of success stories of people who are independent artists who just put things on um, YouTube and started doing it. One of the people that comes to mind, uh, and I I'm not particularly a fan of her music. Uh, but I just know how YouTube was a big catalyst in in her journey. Uh, she makes those videos. She plays the violin. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't remember her name at all. She plays it really well. Mm-hmm. Not into that. But, boy, she has built a following and does concerts and everything now. Mm-hmm. And it started with she just put this stuff. She was good with the way she played. She had a style to it and things like that. Or he's less a – not really about music, but he's a spoken word comedian, um, which is going to be Bo Burnham. Mm-hmm. If you ever see, you know who Bo Burnham is. Mm-hmm. You ever seen his very first stupid videos done in his bedroom? They are hysterical. He just put the camera, no editing. He just looks at the camera, plays the piano, and says stupid mm-hmm. stuff. And it's like you're laugh, you're just cracking up. You're like, this is absurd. This is naughty. This is funny. And next thing you know, he's got a HBO show. He's got this. Yeah. Oh, I see. Next thing you know, took years to accumulate this. Yeah, but, but it built. From the ethic of like, and yeah. then also having a team around too. Yep. Because that's the other thing. Do you, um, and you do a lot of things like me, you do a lot of independent things. Yeah. How many other people are needed in the mix? And what's the advantages of having a team versus working independently? 
I generally, so my YouTube is still mostly independent. Other than uh, Marvin hanging out with Long Thursdays, there's not a lot of mm -hmm. other. They're incidentally in the video. Shout out Marvin. Man. Yeah, it's shout so out Marvin. Funny. It's like I remember when he. Uh, <laughs> I remember, like, I was in there messing with my computer for something, uh, and like when he first came on, on board, and then they were like, he was like, "Yeah, you know, we're gonna try this hot sauce challenge." I was like, "Marvin, don't do that." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Years later, he has yeah. joined. He has joined yep. the Lawrence team in full. Yeah. Um. So the YouTube is mostly an independent uh, thing, and I say incidental the other people, and the reason why is because I cover projects we do. So they're incidentally doing the projects. So that's mm -hmm. they're not necessarily. Uh, part of what I'm doing, they're just doing their job and I'm filming it. Mm -hmm. um, so they're not, and they're not really into the YouTube thing. Marvin mm -hmm. is. Marvin's uh, background is actually in stand-up comedy mm -hmm. uh, and stuff like that. So if you didn't know, he used to he used to be an MC for some of the local comedy clubs, and he's had his own act he's done. And so he's always been. Uh, he likes being on on yeah. there, but he's not as techy. So in my most of my focus is you know going in depth on tech videos on how to set things up in a very deep and detailed way with firewalls and all kinds of geeky stuff. Uh, but my podcasting, <clears throat> the podcasting is a little different because that's a lot more collaborative. Uh, we bounce ideas off each other. I came into Tony's the one who started the podcast originally and they had people leaving and I was just like, Hey, you guys are awesome. You just kind of sit around the microphone. I mean, specifically mm -hmm. the podcast is deep dives talking about Linux. Uh, so Tony being, uh, that he, his day job is working, uh, doing firewall security engineering for a very large company. Uh, then he starts, he teaches at U of M. So he's really good at what he does. And actually I mentioned he's in China for the next two weeks, uh, teaching uh, network security in China. But you got someone who's just super passionate about network engineering and Linux. So I joined there. Uh, we have Mary, who's also passionate about it, who lives right here in Detroit. And um, I brought on another friend because it just works well with four of us together. So that being a collaborative effort means we have to coordinate with show notes. We have to all have a shared vision, which is we ha you have to establish it for you have on the show. Do we all share the same passion and vision? We may have different opinions about it, but we all have a driving passion towards the same topics. We're very deep dived into our topics. Uh, Phil ha runs globally. Uh, I won't say exactly what he does because he's some part of his job is under NDA um, but he's he does global security on a, on a global scale so he is not just kind of passionate about what he does he's super deep into what he does on there mm -hmm. and it comes true with there so having a bunch of creators four people creating and working off the and same thing you're extremely passionate too and oh yeah yeah I'm, I'm as been, deep into been it as ever Linux and all <laughs> open source since I've known you and I, every time I think about it it's like I'm uh it's like I'm married to Windows or something. It's weird. It, it's hard, and we talk a lot about that in our show about you know moving off of uh, proprietary technologies like Windows and things like that. But that passion that we have got picked up uh, last year to our surprise uh, by Microsoft, and they flew mm -hmm. us out to their three biggest conference. We feel we flew out to their Build conference. We flew out to their. Um, Ignite conference, um, and then the bigger, biggest one uh, in terms of not size, uh, but in terms of uh, notoriety was they brought us to their New York City headquarters at Microsoft, mm -hmm. and uh, we got to interview people up on stage and stuff like that, and actually do these interviews with these C-level executives at Microsoft. So they gave mm -hmm. us access to like the top people there, because um, Microsoft's trying to change over to use more of this. I won't get into the, the little political details between it, but it was kind of fascinating. All they did was listen to us being passionate about there, and they fly us out places. Like, mm. all, all four of us, all expense-paid trip. Like, yeah. here, we're going to fly you to Seattle. We're going to fly you to Florida for yeah. a week. And even though, like, one of your uh, – one of your <laughs> – a person like me who has been 
uh, and that's the cool thing about you guys too, because you all have like huge contracts, and then you'll still like knock around with my computers and stuff too. But <laughs> you know, uh, somebody that's been coming to you all for years, you still will say switch over to open source and Linux. Oh yeah, yeah. I've sat there, and it's funny we're interviewing uh, people at the Microsoft New York City Times Square place, and we're talking to them about why they should use Linux, and we're dealing yes. with people whose their boss is the CEO of Microsoft, Scientella. Yes. Like that, we're one one step. We, we we joke like, can we interview him? Or like, they're like, no. I'm like, I you know, no one gets to interview the CEO of Microsoft, so he uh, he picks who interviews him. <laughs> a couple a couple people from Michigan talking about Linux aren't gonna make, we didn't like, make the yeah. cut because <laughs> you always are like, man, this is open source this is open source and you yeah. can use this and you can but, do that you know? you know we're talking about things you're passionate about we're, we're passionate about these things and uh, that led to a lot so when it comes to picking your creators uh finding people just because i'm in that world i'm in the hacker space world um i go to these and i met oh, what did i don't forget where i met phil Anyways, not didn't matter. I go to these open source conferences and these hackerspace conferences and things like that. I've been going to them for years to find those people. Uh, so it wasn't too big of a surprise I found them, but then finding ones that are also uh, willing to articulate onto a microphone is a little they, tricky. And they're good at it and they're passionate about it. Yes. And they, and then they also compromise, and you all collectively come together yeah. to make the uh, to make it under. Uh, Phil was the hardest one because Phil's never been a media creator before. Mm-hmm. Phil is a precision person, very precise, and he talks very precise. So bringing out personality in him on a video on there um, took some training. Phil mm-hmm. takes things almost too serious all the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's he, if you if you meet a lot of people in tech, you realize yes, there's a lot of people who are super awkward um, mm-hmm. only way to describe it they're very deep in there so that's another thing finding someone who can bring forth some personality um and it's not a dig at any of my guys but a lot of them have no interest in being on video that is they, definitely not steve yeah steve does steve, steve talks a lot but steve. he's also not the best in front of a camera we've joked around about making a video about steve and mostly just be him <laughs> ranting angrily about technology <laughs> yeah I, I had a ranting about my old ass computer last week <laughs> yes yes it, it's entertaining but it's also hard to get something educated educational out of Steve because mm-hmm. uh, he doesn't have any interest in that part. He's very interested in fixing the technology. He's also interested in screaming about it, too. So maybe that would make a video. I don't know. <laughs> I would watch the Steve channel every day. <laughs> yeah. Steve's mad about something today. That would be what it's titled. <laughs> oh, yeah. Today, this hour. Every day. This way's right. Yeah. I, I actually have a few other friends uh, who are deeply technical, um, but they also have no interest. I've tried talking to it, and there's no interest in producing any content. Mm-hmm. Um, a few other friends I know, which is it's not their thing. And so there's this weird combination you have to find of someone who may be really good at it and also has some, uh, wants to bring it on to the microphone, wants to bring it on in front of people. Uh, it could be just because they're shy, they're bashful, they just don't like being in front of people. Um, mm-hmm. I have a friend who now has three published books. He's clearly an amazing content creator. He started a YouTube channel, but he constantly doesn't want to do it because he's just uh, has all kinds of, very openly admits he's highly nervous about doing anything in front of, of people. He has mm-hmm. serious anxiety issues. He's really smart. Like I said, he's now has four published books that are very popular, but he has no interest in the other parts of it. You know, and it's funny as we get close to this at the end, I've seen that happen often too, where like great people to talk to and everything, then the lights come on, the cameras hit, and I, I believe some people are overthinking. They freeze. What it is, because it's like, I don't want to say anything where I sound stupid or I want to make sure that everything gets across clear, where some of it, I guess the way that I look at content creation is like you, like we're stumbling through, like we're our learning curve is like my my thought on something today 
may be completely different two years from now. Yeah. But I'm willing to speak on it from an intentionality of like, this is the premise and this is my presence of mind about it. Yeah. And that's and that's a thing. I mean, you can grab someone, you can meet some guy randomly on the street here in Detroit, and you're like, "Wow, man, this guy is rocking." He's just standing on a street corner performing, yeah, just talking or whatever. Just whatever he's doing. And you're like, "This guy yeah. is passionate." I'm watching him do it. But if you brought him into the studio and put a mic in front of him, it would just turn off. Yeah, yeah. You know, maybe that's not his thing. I'm always fascinated by uh, those unusual individuals you occasionally meet who have no interest in any fame. They simply will do mm-hmm. their craft to do it for no reason other than to do it, and they. They don't want any more structure put around them than they have. They've carved out a niche. They've reached this place where they're happy in life, and that's it. And just because you see the passion in someone, it may be fun to interview them and talk to them a second about it, but they don't. They do not want to change what they are. You know mm-hmm. that. And I, that's I, I kind of respect that about some people that they've just found this super happy place they are. So they don't always make the best people just because they're doing it. So if you have to drag someone too hardcore in, um, yeah, I know. Yeah, that can be that can be a sign that maybe you shouldn't. Uh, the other thing too, you meet the people who are over enthusiastically about being in, and I've run into this. And I'm not trying to call anybody out or anything, but you get those people. I really want to be part of it. I want to be part of it. But when you talk to them, you're like, dude, they have no ideas. They're just yeah. They don't have anything to say. They don't they're have anything to they're say. They're not adding. They don't add any value to your content. Yes. So yeah. you have to be careful with your brand uh, with this, and especially you know, I mean, you're very independent creators of what we do. So this is something you have to really focus on. Go do. Are these people going to add value? And this is a harsh decision because you want to be nice to everybody, uh, but case you got to cut it off. I mean, this is business. I mean, I got a lot of friends that go, "Hey, Tom, you seem to have a cool place. Can I just work for you?" No. You're unemployable is what I want to tell some of them. Like, Hilarious. seriously, you know, you know that you're like, look, you're cool, but uh, I like having a beer with you. But you know, um, I know how you work no, ethic yeah. is. Yeah, yeah. Like, I hang out with you. I already know you. I got a friend who's been every job he's had, and he's so good at it. And he's so proud of how he games every corporate job to do as little as possible. It kind of amuses me, but he is so good at gaming corporate systems. But he's also said, he goes, I can never work for you. You wouldn't tolerate what I do. Yes. He goes, you you see through my patterns. We he's like, to, I, he's honest. He's never asked for a job. To have him make a make 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 like a video or a YouTube channel where he like puts on the Ronald Reagan mask. Yeah, how to do the least <laughs> amount of work possible. He figured out the Comcast system. He was able to get the highest score. Comcast has this grading system for their installers. Uh, he was able to achieve higher scores than everyone and everyone hated him for it. And this is the funniest reason why they hated him because they're like, they know how little he does. Mm-hmm. He learned how to game the system to do nothing and get the best scores and get bonuses. And he says, I can write a manual on how to do this. He goes, all these other people are out there are bust, busting their butt, working hard. Mm-hmm. And he didn't. one of the things he did when Comcast closed to move their office, they get uh, points for collecting the boxes. Mm-hmm. He went and parked at the old Comcast building, just parked there for the day, and collected people's boxes. So he won this, the most turn-ins for boxes. Mm-hmm. They're like, how'd you go collect all these? Everyone else is driving around and mm-hmm. doing this. And he's like, I don't know. I sat in a parking lot playing games. And people, I just told them, oh, the, the building's closed. Just hand it to me and signed them all up. So he got the most numbers. He wow. games every system. He goes, Comcast didn't think about that. So I did it until they caught me. It, I, what's so <laughs> weird is I'm I'm not... You know, it's like different people um, have different levels of, um, you know, looking at game systems. Yeah. But just the effort in it, especially as I've gotten better at business, I can't do it. Like uh, the other day. Uh, Me either. <laughs> I got the line from uh, the line, meaning the the skinny as uh, as um, the skinny what happened through um, through Huggy Bear on. <laughs> On uh, Starsky and Hutch. Yeah. But like street code came of like, hey, do you want to get a, um, 
you want to get a central air unit and God knows where that central air unit is is stolen from or something. I'm like, nah, <laughs> man, I'm okay. I can't, I can't do it at this point in time. Now it was a younger me that yeah. would have been like, seriously, you know what I'm saying? But like, nah, I, I just, I, I can't do it. But people that do game systems, it's a science to all of those. Yeah. Hustles and stuff and like it's that not, too. and that's the thing. I've never been uh, trying to do it that way. I mean, I don't mm-hmm. endorse that. I just, am amused by yeah, it. Yeah. I was but, gonna say, yeah, but you yeah, have yeah, to make yeah. those decisions about people, you know, and go, why is it? I want them on here. Why I don't want them on here. And it's a mm-hmm. tough decision because uh, I imagine this is a course with any music or if, even mm-hmm. you, once they found out you got a studio, everyone's running at you going, Oh, I get free everything and you'll produce and cut and all this for me. And then you'll promote me. Right. And then it's like, <laughs> man, come on, man. Like some of it, just finding people that are passionate, right? The passion and the integrity and the intentionality is really the most important thing. And I hope that um, that's where my mind is. And I see, and that's really the number one reason. Every time I come to, I, I have, um, and it's been sometimes short as short as like two, three weeks. Like you're buying some new equipment, you're learning some new software, you're adding to what your studio is, you're changing the direction of the vision. You're, you're big on your workflow you're big like it's adding i've never come to you and you're like i'm basically in the same space creatively where i was yesterday it's always progressing yes and i love that energy and it's like well damn tom's doing it he's making it real i can do this no. Yeah, just and push. And I, I, I find my inspiration from other people, too, sometimes. You know, you just constantly follow those inspiring people, um, whatever it is. And if Gary V is the guy who inspires you, follow him. It's not mm-hmm. my, you know, maybe yeah. I should make a list of all the people that I yeah, that I like yeah. inspire me because those are people that shape me. Or, um, uh, you know, I, I will throw at least one mention of a book I read. I'm going to read it again. It's called Without Their Permission, and it's mm-hmm. by Alexis Ohanian. Uh, he's the founder of Reddit and a bunch of other uh, web properties. But, um uh, fascinating his concept for the book is without their permission I, he didn't ask anyone's permission to produce one of the top websites in the world uh, where people share ideas which is reddit and things like that he didn't ask permission to do these things and he that he talks a lot about that in his con- uh, as a concept for when you're an entrepreneur you want to start something you're just kind of going against uh things and just saying i'm not going to ask the permission of the people in charge of the media before we produce this and he did this years ago and he brings forward the entire from idea to being shot down with ideas, a lot of them being making it in to one of the, if you're not familiar with Y Combinator, there are the Silicon Valley funding agency, like it is a big deal to get into Y Combinator. If they fund things, they fund the biggest ideas in Silicon Valley. He got in there and what was funny is his idea got in front of there for the pitch. They listened to it and they said, I tell you what, no, 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 no. All of us, we completely hate your idea, but we loved you. We want you to come back here in 30 days like with another idea because we think you have a lot of passion, but your idea sucked that you brought us, mm. <laughs> and uh, which is rare. That's almost never happened to anyone who's gotten in front of Y Combinator. And it's, uh, he, he brings that through in his book, his passion for things, what got him where he is, things he's done, things he's accomplished. Um, he actually has a his own funding company. He funds all kinds of – it's funny. It's a, it's a pig with bread wings. It's called Bread Pig, mm. <laughs> and it is his funding agency to fund – small startup ideas uh, mm. and help other people or just, you know, create things, uh, angel investments and things like cool. that in tech. But his book is great. It's inspiring. It's a good it's a good read for people who want to understand new media creation and uh, things around it and facing challenges. What's amazing to me about Alexis Ohanian, the last thing I'll say about the guy is you got a guy who wrote a book at 30 years old that's worth reading, that's on a bestseller list. How many people at 30 have already accomplished enough to write a book? And the guy is just the most human. I tweeted, so 
this is how, how co- cool of a person, I, at least how I feel about him. Mm-hmm. A pleasant guy. I tweeted after I finished his book. Uh, I did the audio book because I was on a long drive. I, I tweeted. I tagged him in a tweet. I was like, loved your book uh, without permission. I just want to see how great it was. He replied back, how was my voice? I felt nervous reading it myself. Here's a guy who's well accomplished, very mm-hmm. successful by all measures of success that we use. And uh, he's worried that his voice didn't turn out right on there. He's like very real person to talk to. Like that's, that's cool. he said, thanks. But how was my voice? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, a, a different presence of mind. He also says that in the book, too, a couple of times. He says, uh, don't ask your mom how you're doing. She's going to say great. Don't ask your friends if, if what you're doing is right. They're the wrong people to ask. That's a I think that's something else you think. Don't just go ask your friends. So was what I'm doing cool, guys. Oh, great. It is great. Thumbs up. Awesome. That's, you know, mm-hmm. your friends all kind of egg you along. You got to ask strangers and mm-hmm. uh, it may be harsh, but, you know, <laughs> that's where it gets. Now, let me I get uh, you there as we get to the end of this and we uh, five over. Um, I guess like I generally you've already answered the three questions I always ask. So <laughs> um, I guess we, we can kind of close with how do people get in contact with you? And also, what do you see next that you're working on? Um, easy way to get in contact with me is uh, everything about me is at lawrencesystems.com from my company to my YouTube channel to all the other links that I do. Uh, mm-hmm. So that's always an easy starting point where I'm not mm-hmm. shy about all the things you can connect me with, with from the Twitter to all mm-hmm. the other platforms. Uh, other things I'm doing, we are just more of the same is kind of what I joke, but more of the same for me is means more videos, uh, uh, more things on there. I'm My big picture is we're trying to figure out uh, how to build a tech community here in Detroit that's kind of like the hacker mentality. Um, and I'm trying to do it in the Down River area and maybe here in the Detroit area too, where we're trying to put this together. There's mm-hmm. a couple ideas I have uh, of a more hands-on approach. So uh, we there is a makerspace already in, I believe it's in Ferndale right now that's doing pretty well. And I'd like to see if we can't find one in the Down River or Detroit area, uh, maybe another place where people can get hands-on with some of the tech. And some of the tech I talk about, like learning about the firewalls, learning about that, building lab environments for us. So there's already a makerspace where people are passionate about making things and objects, but I'm thinking more of a makerspace, more of a hackerspace in terms of let's play with the things. Maybe there's maybe I'm uh, crazy for even thinking that there's enough people here to do it. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. There's a bunch mm-hmm. of people here that want to get into information security and things like that. Um, I don't know where that lies, but I'm hopefully find it. I found that there's enough people interested in my YouTube channel. Maybe there's some people locally that are interested in some hands-on uh, too for learning that and i would like to make a go about any more people need to get into the technology side that i'm in with the computer security and things like that we hear about another hack or another security breach every single day we need more people in security there's not enough mm-hmm. that's just a fact of uh where we're at with things right now so that's what i've got going on <laughs> as always and i would not be surprised just in in classic time fashion like in about six months out uh you'll have like figured out where that's going to be taking place as well yeah well there is some space released right by my building and we're looking at it going what if i could build a giant lab network where people can come in and just actively try to hack it wouldn't that be fun for for the right people (laughs) some people are going what are you talking about tom (laughs) i'm with it i'm with it i'm with it thank you so much all right perfect